0: Good morning, Re- Redeeming Grace and uh, a few sojourners that I also saw in here. It's great to be with you all. Um, before I jump in and pray, I just wanna acknowledge this is real special for me to to be here, really a real honor to be able to preach for y'all this morning. A Couple really significant things in my life in, that, that took place uh, right here at this church. One, last time I was standing right here wearing a jacket, I was seeing my wife to walk down the aisle for the first time, and so we got married right here. Uh, December 18th, 2009, some of y'all remember that snowmageddon. So as that was happening, uh, inches upon inches, which turned into like a foot and a half of snow accumulated outside. And so uh, that's a very fond memory uh, that that took place here. Uh, Another thing that happened during my time here uh, at this church was really, this is actually the first church I was ever really a part of. I was a relatively new believer when when I came to Redeeming Grace. I'd been walking with Jesus for a few years And this is actually the place where I fell in love with the church. This is the place where I came to see what community in the body of Christ looks like, what uh, sound preaching sounds like, what gospel-centered songs sound like. I remember hearing a quote that we actually quote in our membership class uh, that I I believe I heard in the membership class here a number of years ago is from Charles Spurgeon. It says, um, he's going on describing how, you know, the church isn't perfect. And if there ever was a perfect church, if I joined it, it would no longer be perfect. And then he says in in summary of that, still as imperfect as it is, the church is the dearest place on earth to us. And uh, the church to me, at this church became the dearest place on earth earth to me. And uh, the Lord allowed me to move from this place uh, to then uh, take what I've learned here. And now we've been serving the Lord at New City Fellowship in Manassas for four years now. And so it's just a real joy to come home. And uh, this morning as I'm here, I wanna encourage your prayer life. I feel like that exhortation you you heard during the announcement time is so relevant and uh, very, very relevant as we get ready to begin the new year. And so as we consider the Lord's Prayer, let me just invite you to pray with me now and invite God to speak to us um, on this matter. Let's, let's pray together. God, some of us are in this room maybe because they're exploring who you are, who Jesus is, if you might have something for them in their lives. Others of us have been walking with you for a long time. And I find myself, I'm sure other people in this room, still saying the same things your disciples said when they were with you. So we echo this request 2,000 years later one more time. Lord Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? In this moment, as we're maybe beginning to think about the new year and what our life might look like, would you teach us how to pray? We are busy with so many things. We give our energy to so many different uh, activities. God, would you, in the midst of everything we have going on, cultivate within us deep communion with you. In the privacies of our prayer closets or alone outside somewhere, God, would you indeed teach us how to pray? I ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So I think around Christmas time, we recognize the gift of relationships, even in the midst of all the gift givings. One of the things that that we really treasure during this this time is the gift of relationships. And relationship, my friends, is what you and I were made for. We were made primarily for relationship with God. And we were made also to be in relationship with one another. And we know there's a lot of things that can complicate or even ruin relationships. Uh, The most obvious is sin. Sin uh, destroys, tears apart relationships, primarily our relationship with God, but also our relationship with one another. But there's another, maybe more subtle difficulty many of us experience in our relationships. If you're in this room and you're married, perhaps you can help me out with this. The number one cause for marriage conflict is miss. Miscommunication, misunderstanding. We, uh, not that we intended to be at war with each other, we just didn't understand. And I can personally say, I took premarital here at Redeeming Grace Church. I took it with Seda. I learned a lot of really good things. What I was not prepared for during that time of premarital counseling was the fact that my wife and I actually speak completely different languages. We say words that sound the same, but they mean very different things to us. So uh, words like, okay, I'm fine, <laughs> phrases like, I don't want any fries. First of all, I would never say that phrase, but uh, when my wife says that, she means something different than what I uh, understand that, that to mean. And so we've had different conflicts and difficulties as a result of our inability to communicate. And over 11 years, we're slowly growing in that. But the point is this, friends, that relationships break down when we lose the ability to communicate. Now you and I were made for relationship with God and there's a lot of factors that make that relationship difficult for us this side of eternity. The most obvious one is our sin that separates us from God. But even recognizing as redeemed followers of Jesus, who have had our sins atoned for, we have another thing that complicates this relationship that we were made for. That thing is, we don't know how to communicate with God. Like Jesus' first disciples, we have no idea how to pray. That's indicated in the passages that precede the one this morning. So on the one hand, you have the Pharisees who are using prayer to basically get attention from people. You've got the Gentiles who are mentioned that have uh, these kind of long, repetitive phrases that they heap up to perhaps get God's attention or get what they want. And so there's lots of misunderstanding of what prayer even is. But even for you and I who have been walking with Jesus for a long time and have read the Sermon on the Mount before, even we still, knowing what prayer is supposed to be, struggle to actually engage in it. I'm sure if we were to go around the room this morning and I would include myself in this bunch and I were to simply ask, hey, how is your prayer life going right now? Few of us would say thriving, dynamic, alive. Most of us would say, I wanna pray more I just struggle knowing how to actually do it. My mind gets distracted. Uh, Sometimes I feel like I'm just talking and there's nobody on the other end of the line. Anyone been there before, right? Like we struggle to pray. And so this is what Jesus is doing for us in the Lord's prayer. This is so much more than just a, a quotable prayer that we can rehearse, though it's fine to do that. What Jesus is doing in the Lord's prayer, brothers and sisters, is restoring our ability to communicate with God. That's what he's doing here. He is restoring our ability to communicate with God. In salvation, Jesus opens for us uh, access to the throne room of God. But in the Lord's prayer, what he's doing is teaching us once we actually find ourselves in the throne room, how do we engage with him? That's what these words show us. And let me just tell you how I want to break this this passage down, uh, how I want to structure our time together this morning. J.I. Packer points this out, and I think it's it's very powerful if you can get a hold of this in the way you use the Lord's prayer. So typically as we get ready to pray, we come into the Lord's presence and maybe we have a, a bit of an agenda of our own. God, I have some things I'd like to talk to you about right now. In the Lord's Prayer, what what God does is he actually uh, takes control of the conversation. And instead of us coming with our questions, there's some questions that are pressed on us from this prayer that find their answers in the passage before us. So as we consider this passage together, I want us to consider these three questions. Number one, it's as though God is asking us as we begin to pray who am I to you? Who am I to you? Number 2, he asks us, what do you want more than anything right now? What do you want more than anything? And then number 3, what do you need in order to carry that out? What who am I to you? What do you want more than anything and what do you need? As, as a means to that end. And we're going to go through each of those questions one by one, okay? So let's, let's begin with the first one. We're asked this question of identity. Who am I to you? Anytime we begin a conversation, it's helpful for us to understand who it is that's on the other end of that conversation because the identity of the person we are speaking with will shape how we go about that conversation, And so as we begin to understand God's identity for us, as we begin to pray, this is how he answers the question, who am I to you? How does God want us to approach us? Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. These two beautiful truths about God hold one another in tension and uh, are important for us to understand as we begin to approach God. So what's the first thing that God wants to know as we begin to approach him? Number one, he wants us to understand that we're his children, that he's a father to us, our father who is in heaven. These words that Jesus is saying would have been a shock to all of the first century uh, listeners who were learning how to pray from Jesus. Wait a second, you mean we can just uh, walk in and call God father? Father? Recognizing that while we are sinners and as a result of that, God's enemies, we can just call Him Father, yes, through Christ and only through Christ, because of the adoption we experience in our salvation, as we step into God's presence, we address Him as our Father. First John 1:3 3, or three1, I think, puts this very powerfully. It says, "See what kind of love the Father has given to us? That we should be called." children of God, and then I love the emphatic statement it puts on the end, and so we are. Jesus wants us to actually believe that as we begin approaching God in prayer, our Father. And there's a lot of things I could point out about having God as Father that would be helpful for us to think about as we pray. One of the things I wanna hit on is his generosity. So you'll notice as you look at God's description as being father at different points in the New Testament, often what immediately follows a description of his fatherhood is his generosity. Matthew 7, 11, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? James 1, 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is coming from above. Is, is from above, coming down from who? The father of lights. One of the things we need to understand as we begin to approach God in prayer is how generous he is as a father. I feel like I experience this around this time of year every Christmas season. So I come in feeling the hangover from the previous Christmas year and uh, you know all the stuff that was bought and then probably lost at some point throughout the year. And I come in with a very sober like, okay, this year we have a talk, me and Chelsea, we are gonna be, have self-control. We've got a budget, we've got a plan, we're gonna to stick to that thing and we're gonna get a few things and we're gonna be thankful for those things we get. A week into shopping, forget it, pull up Amazon, I'm going to Target, we'll hit Cabela's after that, get out the wrapping paper, we'll figure it out in January, don't worry about it. But what's happening there? One, it's a need for me to exercise a little bit more self-control. But two, there's this desire as a father to give to my kids, I love to give my kids gifts. And what Jesus wants us to understand as we come into his presence is that our Father loves to give us gifts generously. He's not gonna give us everything we want because that would destroy us, but he's he's generous. So we're to approach our Father in heaven. And then the second part of it, our Father who is in heaven. This this holds in tension God's fatherhood with uh, a sense created within us of awe, of holiness, of power. So I think J.I. Packer's right when he points out when God is described as being in heaven, that's not so much Jesus telling us the location of where God can be found, but more so a description of the position or the status he holds. Our father is the one who is in heaven, who sits upon the throne, who rules over all of his creation, uh, who does everything in accordance with his will. Psalm 115.3 when it's describing God's heavenliness, listen to what it says after this statement of, his, of, of where he is. It says, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. What we're met with along with God's fatherhood is a sense of his sovereignty, his control, his power. And I think this leaves two effects on us as we pray, or one, one big effect on us as we pray. I think what it gives us is a sense of confidence. Oftentimes we come in to pray with just some timidity. Can I ask that? Is God really gonna do anything? When we understand who we're talking to, our Father who is in heaven, we have confidence that he not only wants to hear us, but has the ability to carry out whatever it is he wants. So as we begin to pray, the first question that's pressed on us, brothers and sisters, is, who am I to you? And we find the answer in the Lord's Prayer. We have who God is to us, our Father who is in heaven. The next question we ask is, what do you really want? What do you really want more than anything? We want a lot of things. What do you really want? This next, uh, these next few lines in the Lord's Prayer are a bit of helping us set our priorities in order. It's a bit of a first things first moment that, that Jesus allows us to have because he knows how quick we are to move lesser things to first things, things that are of secondary or some other line of importance all the way up to first importance. And so what he's doing here is resetting our priorities. What do you really want. If we were to let these three things roll off our tongue to that question, we we would be doing pretty well. We would be in a safe place. God asks, what do you really want as you pray? Here's what we should respond with. God, number one, what do I really want? I want your name to be hallowed. What does that mean when we pray that God's name would be hallowed? We're not praying that God would be more holy. That's not possible. What we're praying when we say, God, hallowed be your name is, God, I don't rightly recognize who you are, nor does the rest of your creation, actually. I don't rightly recognize the the sacredness, the preciousness, the differentness of who you are. So God, as I begin to pray, what I need most of all is that you would open me up to a greater recognition of who you really are, a greater, clearer picture of your holiness. And then holiness also has a powerful effect in our lives. In a sense, one way we could define holiness would be by using the word devotion, as Sinclair Ferguson points out in his great book, Devoted to God. You see, in the Old Testament, when something was uh, regarded as holy, what that meant was that it was devoted. It was given a singular use. So there's a lampstand in the temple, and it was holy because it was fully devoted to that temple. In other words, you weren't allowed to take that lampstand back to your home and light up your uh, Christmas tree with it. That, That wasn't something you were allowed to do. It was singularly devoted to one purpose, being in the temple. So we say, God, hallowed be your name in my life. What we're saying is, God, would more of my life be devoted to you? My, my first things first, my priority is that more of my life would be devoted to you. And then secondly, we pray, let your kingdom come. God, what I want more than anything is to see your kingdom come into this world. What this recognizes along with the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is that God is indeed king. And his kingdom advances when people recognize the salvation that Jesus offers. They place their faith in that salvation and then they say, Lord, I wanna live my life under your authority. I want to I value what you value. I want to do what your word says. Uh, I want to live my life under your authority. And as people are saying this, the kingdom of God is coming. And so in this way, the kingdom of God is not so much about a place, but about a person. And when people come to live under the authority of that person, Jesus, the kingdom of God is advancing. And so what we're praying, God, secondly, what I want more than anything else in my family, in my city, in this world is for this glorious kingdom to advance. What would it look like for this to be a priority in your prayer life as you begin the new year? And then finally, we pray, let your will be done. What do I really want, God? I want your will to be done in my life. I've got a lot of things I desire and a lot of things, a lot of ways that I would do something. I want you to replace that with your will. God's will is, of course, expressed in his commandments or perhaps in the example of Jesus. And what we're saying is, God may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, starting with my life, would there be no incongruity between how I'm living and what your will is? Because that's what it's like in heaven. In heaven, everything comes under the, the will, the desire of God. God, would your will be done in my life? So as we continue to pray, we're asked the question, what do you really want? Really want more than anything. God, what I want more than anything is your name to be hallowed, your kingdom to come, and your will to be done. That is the first things first in my communication with you. Hey, and can I tell you a couple really powerful things that happen when we begin to pray this way? Number one, as we regularly pray with these priorities, we are constantly reminded it's not about us. And we regularly need those reminders that it is not about you. Your life is not about you. Your life is about the glory of God. And when you make your life about you, you're going against the grain of the universe. The entire universe is pointing to the glory of God. When you make it about you, you're going against that grain. And as one theologian said, when you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. How many frustrations Difficulties, obstacles do we face in our life for trying to make it about us. Jesus is giving us a kindness here to get with the rest of all creation and joining and making our lives about the glory of the eternal God. So the first effect this has on you when you pray this way is that it, it uh, reminds you that it's not about you. But can I tell you another thing that happens when you make these your priorities in prayer? It gives you, I would even say, guaranteed answers to your prayers. Often we come in to pray and we have some requests and we're not really sure if, man, God, are you going to hear this? Are you going to respond to this? If these three requests, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, are rolling off our lips, you can be sure you will find answers to your prayer. So I can say personally, like, Something I enjoy uh, to do uh, is outdoor activities. I'll be, you know, fishing or hunting or something like that. And these things typically require a lot of patience, sometimes a lot of sitting in the cold and things like that. And so uh, I'll be sitting out there and I remember the verse I read, you know, First John 3, you know, see what kind of love the Father's lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. So I'm like, God, I'm your child. I've been sitting out here a long time. It's cold. If you could just send a deer, I, I would just really appreciate that. And I can tell you this morning that not once has that prayer request been answered as I've, as I've lifted that up. But I wanted to read for you all a journal entry that my wife and I wrote down from 2015. Uh, it's the title of it is Manassas Church Plant. We didn't even know the name of our church. And these are the requests that we asked. Number one, we prayed that, that God would bring it about from start to finish. It would be his work for his glory. Number two, we prayed for our family's humility, sanctification, preparation, and blessing for this. Number three, we prayed for every financial need to be met. We needed, I mean, over the span of the church plant, hundreds of thousands of dollars that didn't exist. Uh, We prayed for a building to meet in, which is very difficult to find in Northern Virginia. Uh, One in particular was a Unitarian Universalist church building that would have worked really great for us. Number five, we prayed that people would hear the message of Jesus and be transformed, given hope and a relationship with him. And then number six, we prayed for a solid core team to come together. That was written in 2015. In 2020, I can tell you, every single one of those requests has been answered. Every single one. When we didn't know how it was going to happen, we didn't know what would, uh, how a way would be made, God answered every single one. Why? Because when we begin to fill our prayers with these kinds of requests, these kinds of priorities, the Lord is eager to hear and respond. So what would it look like for you to allow the Lord Jesus to reshuffle the priorities in your prayer life? He asks us this morning, what do you really want more than anything? We respond, God, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. And then he graciously invites us to consider this. Lastly, what do you need right now? Uh, to say more specifically, you just said what you really want is to see my kingdom come, to, to, to have my will be done. All right, in order to do that today, what do you need? And he gives us three, three answers to, the, to, to, that, to that question. God, number one, I need you to meet my, my just physical needs. We are embodied physical people. We have physical needs. God, I need your physical needs. And so uh, what do you need, number one, God? I need you to, to uh, give me today, give us today our daily bread. This is, of course, reminiscent when uh, Israel was in the wilderness and they were supposed to rely on God for their daily provision. And so manna was sent from heaven. But the amount uh, that was sent was enough for just one day. If they kept more than what was needed for that day in the morning, it was rotten and filled with worms. And so uh, one day's provision is what they were given. And God provided for them every single day. What God invites us to do in our prayers is to take what we need not even next week, not even maybe tomorrow. God, today, right now, I need this. For some of you, that may be just physical provision. Maybe it's, it's financial. Lord, I need money to buy groceries today. You can lay that before the Lord and, and watch his hand work in your life. Maybe you're at home with little kids and it's just a simple request of, God, I am, I am dead tired. I don't have enough energy to make it through the day. God, today would you give me what I need to, to do your will even among these little ones? He invites us to come to him with the need of our physical provision. And then number two, the need we have for forgiveness. The fact that this is in the Lord's Prayer, which is really designed for people who have entered God's kingdom, who have been walking with him, is actually truly remarkable. So just, there wouldn't be enough songs in the universe to sing of the grace that it took to cover yours and my sin before we knew Jesus. I mean, if you were to just think of all all the days, all the rebellion, all the things you did before you actually met him, that there would be a sacrifice to cover those sins is more than we could ever ask for. But do you know what Jesus is recognizing when he invites us to pray for forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer? What he's recognizing is, hey, listen, even after you've entered my kingdom, even after you've received my forgiveness, you're still going to sin. And guess what? There's grace and forgiveness waiting for you when you do. That is remarkable. In 1 John, John describes how if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That was written to a church, recognizing we will continue to fall short. And friends, don't hear me saying that that's a license to now, okay, hey, there's forgiveness in the Lord's prayer. I can always ask for forgiveness, so I'll do whatever I want. No, we already said what we wanted more than anything was to do God's will. And so when we pray to find forgiveness, when we fail to do God's will, what we find is the very energy and strength and zeal to carry his will out. What was said of the woman who was known as a very sinful woman weeping at Jesus' feet? She who's been forgiven much will love much. And when we're forgiven much and we love much, do you know what we want to do? We want to obey God's will much. It, It reorients our heart and our desires when we encounter him on a regular basis, knowing we fall short, but recognizing there's forgiveness for us even when we do. So what do we, what do we need? We, we need our physical provisions. And Jesus, knowing who we are, knowing that we are prone to wander, he says, you're gonna need forgiveness and you can find it in me as you continue to seek me day after day. And then the final thing we need, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. This is a verse that some scholars have debated about. How are they to understand it? And it's, of course, recognizing what James one thirteen says, that God doesn't tempt anyone. And I don't have the time to dive into that. What, what this request simply recognizes is the following. There is a tempter out there that has a plan in place to completely destroy you and shipwreck your faith. There is a plan in place right now, right now, there is a plan in place to get you off of track in your discipleship, and your faith that you've placed in Jesus, to get you off track. And like an expert chess player, this tempter is already 10 steps ahead of you. You may have a couple victories here and there, but there is a plan in place to destroy you. Here's what we recognize when we pray, God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What we're recognizing is God, when it comes to that tempter, I'm not strong enough to handle that on my own. Left to myself, I'm gonna fall into temptation. And so I need your leadership, I need your protection, I need your provision in my life. I'm not strong enough, I can't do it. It's the same sense of what Jesus was inviting his disciples to pray in the garden. As he was praying and they were wanting to sleep, he says to them, hey, uh, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. As we pray this, what we're recognizing is, Lord, I'm, I'm not strong enough on my own. And having that kind of humility in your prayers, that kind of um, need for protection and deliverance is, is one of the most powerful things you can do for your own spiritual life, for your own sanctification. So God asks us, what do you need? God, what I need is, number one, daily provision, number two, forgiveness, and three, I need you to lead and protect me from the evil one. When we pray like this, we can be sure that God will be pleased to answer us. And so God is inviting us into this dialogue, into this fellowship with him, where he takes control of the conversation and he asks the question to us, Can I just invite you in the year 2020 to allow these answers to to fill in the blank on those questions. As God approaches us, who is he to us? God, you are my Father who is in heaven. What do you really want right now more than anything? God, there's a lot of things that I want, but as I really survey my heart, what I want more than anything is for your name to be hallowed, your kingdom to come, and your will be done. What do you need right now? now. God, I need you to provide for what I need today. I'll trust you with tomorrow, but today I need this. I need you to forgive me where I've fallen short. And finally, I need you to deliver me and protect me from the evil one. This is how we begin to communicate with the eternal heavenly father. As we get ready to close, let's just recognize this. Sin takes away both the Opportunity and the ability to communicate with God. Jesus recognizes we don't have that ability, so on the uh, at that moment in his ministry, he climbs up on a hill and he begins to teach us how to pray, so that we could know how to communicate with God. But if all he did was teach us how to pray, it wouldn't be enough because we could pray this prayer perfectly, but left in our sins, our prayers would simply fall to the ground. So Jesus then, sometime later, climbed up another hill in Jerusalem, but this time not to teach, this time to die, this time to pay the penalty, the sin price that you and I have accumulated in our sin. In dying on that cross in our place as our representative, every single thing about us that separates us from God was paid for and done away with. Jesus then went down into a grave, and on Easter morning, when that stone was rolled away and rolled wide open, so was opened the opportunity for you to communicate with God. What is stopping you, especially this new year, from taking advantage of of that opportunity. He's paved the way. He's shown us how. Can I urge you in this new year to begin to pray, perhaps as you've never prayed before, and to watch the hand of the Lord work in your life as a result of it. Let me also just close by recognizing, I know there are probably some of you that you are at a place right now in your walk with God where maybe he's distant to you. Maybe you've not really Trusted for yourself what Jesus has done on the cross. Maybe you used to uh, be in church around this time of year, you kind of find your way back in. Maybe, just maybe, this morning, as we talk about this conversation with God, He might be inviting a conversation with you. And I think just like He takes control of the conversation in the Lord's Prayer, He would take control of the conversation right now, where He would say to you, First things first, you are a sinner. You deserve God's judgment, God's wrath. He sees everything about you. He knows everything about you. And he knows, he knows that you're a sinner. He says to you in the midst of that, that he sent his son to pay the penalty for your sin on the cross and to rise up from the grave on the, on the third day so that you could have new life. You can respond back to him, even right now. Even right now by saying, God, I, you're right. I'm, I'm lost I've been far from you. I've sinned against you. God, I repent. I don't want that in my life anymore. I turn to you and I turn to Jesus as the, as the one who pays for all of it. So God, I, I'm turning away from my sin and I'm turning to you. Maybe this morning you could offer a prayer that sounds something like that. I wanna pray for all of us and for you right now. And, Maybe if anything that I've said in in terms of a new relationship with God that that strikes you this morning, if you wanna talk to me or I'm sure one of the pastors or someone that brought you would would love to speak with you as well. Let's pray now uh, together and uh, even take these words into account. God, we recognize that you are not some distant deity or some energy force. You are our Father who is in heaven. God, what we want more than anything, what we want more than anything is for your name to be hallowed, your kingdom to come, and your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. God, we have some needs in this room. You know them, you see them. And so we lay them before you, God. We need you to provide for us financially, with food to eat, with a roof over our head. We we have these needs and we, we lay them before you, God. Would you graciously provide? And God, we also need you to forgive us. Even now as maybe some of our shortcomings, our sins are brought to mind, God, would you grant forgiveness in this room and reconciliation? And Lord, we need you to protect us and deliver us from the evil one. We're not strong enough. He's waiting for us when we leave this place. So would you deliver us from him? This is our prayer to you. Recognizing that for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.